Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigators Western Operations. Welcome to the Western Edge, a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. Well, we're back for season three and ready to bring you the latest stories making waves across Western Canada. For our first episode of the season, a bit of a back-to-school episode, if you will, I'm joined by Jason Schilling, President of the Alberta Teachers Association. School is back in season across the country and certainly here in Alberta. And if you're in this province, you know that education, back to school, our new curriculum, well, they're all hot topics. So this is the Western Edge. Jason, welcome, my namesake. Hey, yeah, well, you know, always happy to meet another Jason. So (laughs) So, I... Jason, lots going on, obviously, this time of year for, for students, for teachers, for parents like myself and my wife. Um, but we're back at school. It's been been an interesting couple of years. I mean, that's probably the understatement of the century. Yeah. Um, but how are th- folks doing? Uh, you know, you've kind of people have been back long enough to maybe uh, I know you got your ear to the ground with uh, with your colleagues. How, how are teachers doing out there and students? Well, you know, it is an interesting start to the school year and very different than what we've seen in the last couple of years, because we've not had sort of controversy, I guess, over return to school measures with COVID. And so um, the teachers were really looking forward to getting back to working with their students. It's something that we love to do working with kids, right? So when you get to go back and, and see them after the summer, they change so much, you meet your new students, you get new courses, that's all really exciting. But it has been a little bit tempered. And there's some anxiety out there as well as, as teachers are dealing with a new curriculum for K to three in language arts and mathematics and uh, K to six phys ed and uh, financial uh, literacy. But also we're seeing class sizes grow across the province and uh, still dealing with the, the after effects of the last couple of years in this sort of roller coaster way that education has been through the pandemic. Yeah, there has been a lot going on in education. Mm-hmm. I want to delve into that and some of the issues you brought up. Um, before we go into that, just maybe just at the start of the, the school year, what are your sense of how uh, students are doing? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I know for my own kids, it's funny for everybody to see their teacher's face and their own face, yeah. the things that we take for granted, those of us who've long since graduated. But, you know, I know there's been some concerns uh, amongst parents and amongst educators about uh, kids maybe finding a little gap when they get back or, or falling behind over COVID. What What's, what's the sense? I know it's early days, but what's the sense from, from uh, the association? Well, yeah, talking with my colleagues across the province and even from our own research that we've done in the last, uh, through the last year, we've been researching with our, our colleagues throughout the pandemic about their experience in this notion of sort of a learning loss or a gap or whatever phrase people want to use to describe it. Um, students are, there's some experience, there are some difficulties with that. So teachers are identifying some areas, some gaps where, where students might have missed some uh, some instruction through the course of the last year to no one's fault of their own. I mean, you have to isolate when you're sick and schools were online and they were in person, it was it was very kind of difficult to keep on track with everything that was going on. Um, our own research also indicated, and I've seen some other research through other organizations such as the Alberta School Councils Association, that there's a concern about students' mental health as well. The pandemic really exasperated for some students some of the, the issues and concerns that they had, but then some other students developed other anxieties as well. And so we're finding this fall as kids are coming to school 
school, that there's a real um, need for addressing the complexity of their needs. So that not only are their needs at some point academic, because they might have missed something um, instructional wise through the course of the last year or so, but they're also coming to school with mental health needs as well. And uh, um, schools need that support and teachers need that support to address that as well. Yeah, that was identified. I, I saw a, a study that was uh, highlighted in the Calgary Herald uh, that really showed uh, it was a study of, of, of parents with kids going back to school and, and the vast, vast majority of parents. I think it was, uh, it was about 3,400 out of, out of 5,400 parents expressed that concern about the gap. But what was really striking about it, um, unfortunately, not surprising, but striking about it was the reference to the gap in mental health and whatnot. Now, I, I understand that the government has, has in their last budget, has, has put some money towards mental health. Is that going to help fill those gaps? Are you starting to see that th- those dollars uh, arriving on, the, on, on school doorsteps, so to speak? Well, one of the problems that we have here, though, is that the mental health needs of our students was a problem before the pandemic. So, for instance, I taught in a rural school um, down in southern Alberta. We would have a counselor who would be available for students once a week. Um, And we need more support that way. We need more counselors working in schools. We need more teacher counselors working in schools. And so those problems existed before the pandemic and has sort of been amplified throughout the pandemic. And I know that the government has put some money towards uh, this this issue and this concern um, for this year, but it is something that's going to have to be a longer term approach over the course of many years because students will need that assistance as they go through school and and some will will find some, you know, they'll get better and they'll find strategies to cope, but we'll always have students that will need that assistance. You know, so much has been talked about and discussed about those who were on the front lines during the, the height of the pandemic, and obviously our healthcare workers uh, were front and center in that, mm-hmm. uh, nurses and doctors, but teachers too. They, they were on the front lines in many ways in a world that we we were all trying to figure out, whether it be the online version and trying to keep kids engaged and motivated and yeah. and, and being their best students, uh, but also then you know the, the back and forth coming in. Have you seen the same kind of attrition that we've seen in retirement that we've seen in, in, in some of those other frontline healthcare workers, for example? Or are we seeing teachers leave the profession? We've been seeing some, yes. And I mean, we've had our normal number of retirements, maybe a little bit more this year than we, we would see uh, traditionally. And so there has been some other sort of teachers who have either gone on leave or they've left the profession a little bit earlier, or they've moved to a different province to teach because the um, not necessarily the pandemic, but also the, the treatment that they felt by this current government towards the profession has been one of the things that have prompted some people to leave um, on top of, of everything else that was sort of COVID related. So we have seen some of that. Um, we know that through the pandemic, and we're not special in, in Alberta, this was across Canada as I meet with uh, presidents from other provinces across the country as well. There's been a substitute teacher shortage. So to have substitute teachers be able to come in for teachers who need to isolate, um, and that has caused, you know, has a ripple effect within a school. You can't get enough subs to cover classes. All of a sudden, administrators and principals are covering classes. Teachers are losing their prep time that they need to get ready to cover other classes and uh, or in some cases doubling up classes which to me through the pandemic making a class of 25 suddenly a class of almost 50 uh, makes no sense when you're you're dealing with um, you know COVID in in the buildings so I mean teachers through the pandemic I think did extraordinary work and uh, I've never been more proud to be a teacher than through the pandemic when I saw the work and the care that my colleagues are putting into their classrooms day after day. 
Well, let's hope there's no lockdowns or restrictions this year and we can get through a full school year. But you've touched on sort of government and, and teachers and the associations and school boards all working together. Well, one of the things that is new this year and, 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 and is on the docket is a new curriculum. And if I'm not mistaken, for those that may uh, maybe from outside of Alberta or those that are, are just tuning in here today and, and aren't familiar, but we do have a, a, at least the start of a rollout of a new curriculum. Um, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but this is happening in K-6 this, this fall. Do you want to maybe just... Uh, everybody up to speed. Definitely. There's a new curriculum for English language arts literature for K to three, as well as mathematics for K to three. K to six is looking at a rollout of physical education and they've uh, wedged uh, financial literacy into uh, physical education. Wellness is what they're calling it. So it's been, um, it's been quite tumultuous getting this curriculum um, to this point, when the curriculum was first released in uh, 2021, it was widely panned by teachers, by school boards, by parents, by Indigenous groups, Francophone community groups, to us LGBTQ plus communities. All were saying this curriculum was not age appropriate or grade appropriate. Uh, it was very Eurocentric. Um, it approached um, diverse cultures, such as Indigenous cultures, uh, more as a tokenism and not necessarily in a, a way that we would like that to tradition, traditionally be seen. Um, so there was a big pushback on the curriculum, but government moved ahead with it. Uh, they decided that they would step back from implementing K to six, all subjects, uh, just to mathematics and language arts for K to three. Um, but they announced that in May of this year in 2022, and uh, didn't actually give a lot of implementation leeway time for teachers to look at resources, to see which resources would work for them or work for their students, to have actual time to uh, look at the curriculum, understand what it means and how do you plan on teaching it for their classroom. And so all of a sudden we saw school start this fall um, with uh, kids and students looking at a new curriculum that teachers and school boards have not really had a lot of time to prepare for. And uh, so they're sort of doing their best with what they can right now and uh, trying to, uh, to move kids along in a way that makes sense but uh, there's still a lot of concerns about the age appropriateness and the grade appropriateness of some of the materials that uh, kids are looking at you know for instance in mathematics traditionally kids in grade two learn numbers up to 100 and right now they're doing numeracy tests to see where their gap or their learning, you know, they might have a learning gap and they have these uh, assessments that they're doing in the fall and kids have to ask to identify and write numbers in the tens of thousands, which they've not learned yet. So there's that bridging component there that teachers were concerned about that we were concerned about as an association that you know, kids don't have the prerequisite knowledge that they need in grade two when they go into grade three. And so we're going to see some of those problems uh, come out this fall. And it's a little bit, of um, frustration on my part because we had identified these issues and the concerns with government uh, prior to all of this being implemented in the fall, but uh, government was not so keen on listening to uh, the advice of the association at that time. Well, I want to, I want to get into that process a little bit. Now, uh, my understanding was that after some of that pushback, there was some changing uh, changes in the appropriateness uh, in terms of uh, both the language um, and, and also the pace. It, are you seeing that or did it go far enough or do you think that reflected some of the, the input that teachers and the association gave? Well, the input that was given and the association was um, traditionally in the past, the association has been a full partner in curriculum development. And that agreement was tore up by this government in the summer of 2019. And that's really um, 
evident when you look at the draft curriculum because it does not have the input of teachers and professionals who do this work day in and day out reflected in it, where it traditionally always has in the past. That's why our curriculum in Alberta has been, you know, one of the best ones in the world. Um, so it is absent of that. So I know the government did take some input. They took it back. Um, they made some changes. But when teachers looked at the changes that came afterwards, there was some movement to um, slow down some implementation of some concepts. They were, were drawn out, but it wasn't enough. It still didn't address a lot of the issues that teachers had around the age and the great appropriateness. And when you look at English language arts literature as well, there's a lot of Eurocentric literature that is sort of prescribed in there, which is really different from most curriculum. You don't get a lot of prescription saying you must teach this story or teach this poem or teach this song um, this new curriculum does that where the ones in the past teachers had autonomy to bring in um, texts from all sorts of different areas to help uh, show kids you know the diversity that lives within our modern province here well and it's finding that that balance of autonomy and creative creativity that we want obviously for our educators but also making sure that everybody's getting exposed to equal opportunity and, mm -hmm. and see themselves in the education as you described around language and the like but now the process to get to curriculum this started back in 2016 on the previous government folks listening in for the ndp government and so this has been going on for quite some some time jason right? yeah what do you see as a difference in the two processes and, and where do you think this leads going forward? Not to have you speculate too much, but. Well, no, I, I mean, actually this process started before the NDP were in power with the minister Hancock was the education minister at the time started a, right. a, a process called inspiring education that looked at revamping the curriculum across all subject areas, K to 12 in the course of a certain amount of years and engaged the public in, and parents and businesses into that process. And you saw that, that movement forward. Now, unfortunately, we had a lot of different premiers during that time. We had a lot of different education ministers at that time. And there was just a, it would stop and stall, stop and stall, stop and stall. And so the NDP actually picked up what the PCs had sort of laid down and moved that forward. Um, and we had a draft of a K to four curriculum that was supposed to be implemented um, when the NDP were in power and the association worked with that government as we have with governments before the NDP came into power around that curriculum implementation. Um, but then you saw the change of, of uh, government in 2019, and um, you saw the process once again stall. And then the government uh, tore up the agreement of curriculum partnership with the association and uh, went back to the drawing board and brought in subject experts who were not teachers, who did not hold certificates in education in Alberta, and uh, you, you get to where we are now. Now, moving forward, um, we are still looking at, uh, you know, science, the arts still need to be implemented, Francophone education, French as a second language, science is another one, and there's still plans to uh, revamp and adapt uh, junior high, so seven to nine, and then beyond that, 10 to 12. And uh, so we've been really pushing back on government and saying, you need to bring teachers back into the conversation in the working groups on curriculum redesign and creation and writing, because you know, as a teacher working in a classroom, it's my job to interpret and deliver curriculum to my students so that they learn and move forward they're experts in curriculum and to leave them out of the process and bring out a province subject advisor experts in uh, makes no sense. And that's why you saw such a pushback on this draft that came out in 2021. 
Well, in that role that you talked about going all the way up into high school, that really is dependent on things remaining the same. And, you know, whether it be this leadership or we've got several different points of view that we can get to in the moment. Uh, the opposition is saying, uh, I believe uh, the education critic Sarah Hoffman says that the, the, it belongs in the trash. So, and we have an election coming up uh, in the fall, you know, from a parent standpoint, we obviously just want, as, as teachers, I'm sure do too, and educators and, and government as well, but, but parents want the best opportunities for their kids. And, you know, when you get that politics in there and all this uncertainty, you know, that's what I, I'm sure is most concerning to, to, to parents, at least the parents I speak to. How do we how do we get politics out of the classroom or does it belong there? Um, do, do we need to have this? Is, is this healthy? Well, I think we need to get politics out of the curriculum redesign process. And that means that we need to, uh, you know, uh, set up the processes that we used to have. I mean, traditionally, this worked very, very well. But the whole idea of replacing a curriculum that, you know, from K to six in the course of a year is an extraordinary task. I don't know sometimes if the people who who make these statements in the press that we're going to replace the curriculum from K to six truly understand the complex nature of what that actually means. When you talk about PD, resources, assessment, how that affects students, giving people time to adapt and change in that. So traditionally, we used to do curriculum one subject at a time over the course of three years. You write the curriculum, you pilot it, you refine it, and then you finally implement it with resources that support it. We need to be able to take politics out of this, put the process back into the, the hands of the experts to allow them to work on this, and then actually move it through a process that makes sense. So writing the curriculum with individuals at the table, giving it a truly good pilot um, period so that uh, teachers got a chance to work with it in its pilot phase and that way you can refine and tweak it as you're moving along and then move it into sort of a final implementation phase that has sort of been tried and true a little bit and then actually it has a better chance for success because the last thing any teacher wants to see and I know parents would feel the same way as well is a curriculum that's going to fail our students and uh, teachers are really worried that uh, we are going to do a disservice to to a whole generation of kids by rushing through with a curriculum that has not been uh, thoroughly uh, vetted by experts who who have really great knowledge on this. Well, and if it's the world has certainly changed a lot in the last decade, and if we haven't been able to change our curriculum, even a, you know one subject uh, over that time, it, it certainly begs concerns going forward. But let's talk about going forward. We're going to have, shockingly, Jason, we're going to have a new premier. Uh, I think it's our seventh one in less than seven or eight years or nine years, I think it is. Um, but it, it, nevertheless, it's it's the seventh premier we're going to have. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the ATA hosted a, a roundtable or a forum uh, in August. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that went? I know there were some folks like Rebecca Schultz who were saying pause the role, and others like Danielle Smith, who some people see as the front runner in this campaign, seem to be sort of hedging a little better, trying to figure out where she might land on this. But but I wasn't there. You tell me. Well, yeah, and we hosted this during our summer conference, and annually the ATA has a summer conference, which is sort of one of our premier events. We do a lot of training with our volunteer membership, and uh, uh, we had this panel, and we had six out of the seven candidates who showed up for the panel. We had some questions that uh, teachers submitted, and 
we thematically put them together so that they could uh, attach it. Mr. Taves was the one candidate who uh, didn't um, come to the uh, the event. And so they did, they're all over the map when it came to curriculum about what they wanted to do. Like, let's move forward with this. Uh, let's, uh, you know, some candidates were like, we need to stop the implementation, go back, talk to teachers. They all really recognize the fact that the, you know, that this development process that they've gone through um, did not involve the voices of teachers. And so they all recognize the fact that 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 teachers not being at that table was was a, a problem and a fault and that's why they saw so much controversy around this curriculum now the problem moving forward if you say okay we're going to stop this or we're going to keep this going we're going to do that is now everybody is sort of left standing there kind of scratching their head wondering just what exactly is going to happen um, we will see a new premier at the beginning of october who doesn't take um doesn't come in until the end of October. Well, to start making, you know, really big changes into education through the school year can be problematic because I always say that schools really thrive on stability. And we've seen a lot of chaos in the course of the last three years um, with school, with funding, with COVID, with curriculum. And we would be really served by some stability right now. So whatever premier, whoever gets in to be premier, as long as they, uh, whatever choices they want to make, it's, I think it's really important that they talk to the people who are involved in education, the stakeholders, um, you know, the teachers association, the school boards association, the parents association to really get a sense of what makes sense, what will best serve our students and meet their needs moving forward, and then provide the things that schools and teachers to do that. And if it means uh, pulling this curriculum back and reverting back to the old curriculum while we get the, the old, this new draft right, then so be it. I think it's something that uh, you know needs to be a discussion at the table as well. You know, well, politics, as we all know, has become so divisive and so frayed. Uh, it's mm -hmm. difficult to have discussions where we can listen to both sides. That's what we try to do uh, on, on this podcast. But it seems to me one thing that's always consistent in Alberta is people people believe in transparency. They believe in consultation. They believe hearing from 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 experts. And one of the, the, the things I heard, I think particularly from from uh, from Danielle Smith was, and she's not the only person to be fair, but concerned that sometimes the way Alberta and particularly our energy industry is portrayed in our classrooms um, is concerning and, and maybe be negative. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I, I've heard that before in the political arena. And there's no question, it's a great sensitivity, as we know, I, I'm based in Calgary, great sensitivity of how our province is perceived in, in the rest of the country. And, and, and we want people to uh, here our best foot forward, what Alberta is all about. We're not a, a one-trick pony. There's so much exciting things going on here in Alberta, but maybe just get uh, your thoughts on those kind of comments. Well, you know, that's a really good example too, Jason, of how to take politics out of this process. They should not be debating, um, a, you know, an exam question in the legislature. Uh, they shouldn't be throwing teachers under the bus in the legislature. That Those kind of conversations about uh, if this was inappropriate or if that teacher said something that was inappropriate. We have discipline process in place that handle that sort of situation and not talk about that in the legislature. Now, if there is something that is considered somewhat controversial that a teacher might want to approach in school, there's a guide to education that actually tells you how to do that, how to present the controversial issue, bring in both sides, let the kids read what uh, is there, let them make their own decisions and then move forward with that. For example, when you bring in information, you let kids read it and then they make a decision and they, they write their own opinion based on on what they've heard and what they've read and what they've seen. And my job at that point is to help facilitate their writing to make sure that their thinking is clear and supported by facts. 
So the, uh, we are going into an election year. Um, here I am putting politics back in. I said, let's take it out. And that's me putting it back in. So shame on me, I guess. Ah, but, the Jasons. Know, right, the Jasons, exactly. Uh, but look, the, the ATA has been involved uh, on and off or maybe always uh, politically active. And when I say p- politically, I, I don't necessarily mean partisan. Um, but, you know, hosting the forum, being able to get mm-hmm. uh, perhaps the future, future premier in front of your, your membership. I know you've been involved in the past. What do you see as the role of the ATA in this election year? Uh, heading up to to what we expect to be a spring election. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hosting the uh, the panel for the UCP is nothing unusual for us to do. We've hosted panels for the OPC party, for the NDP party. We we do all sorts of forum work um, with our membership and around political engagement to make sure that teachers um, are able to hear what candidates have to say, especially around policies that they have for education. So the association is nonpartisan by policy, but what we will do is focus on what kind of policies any government of the day, regardless of whatever the initial of those that, that party might be, are focused on those policies, how do they affect our students, how do they affect our membership and our, our teachers, and we encourage our members to become politically active in the process, uh, learn who the candidates are, learn who, what the issues are, um, volunteer if you want to, like become involved in the political process because that's their right as individuals and we want them to make sure that uh, uh, they exercise that. Now, as an association, as an entity, we are working on a campaign that uh, will hopefully make education uh, a top priority through to the election in 2023. We'll be uh, asking questions of all political candidates for all political parties about what their education platform is. What do they believe around, you know, curriculum, class size, funding, assessment. Um, There's lots of issues out there that we can talk about. COVID is another one. We're still, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, even though uh, you will hear hints and echoes in the media that the pandemic might be over. We're still dealing with the effects of that with um, absenteeism. We're just seeing that this last week in the news here in the province of the number of students and staff who are absent. So there's lots of things there. And our job as an association is to try to make education a top priority so that when we come to an election in 2023, we see public education in this province as an investment in our future and our students, as opposed to sometimes we always tend to hear it that it's an expense that we can't seem to incur. What for? I'm fascinated by by the campaign to, to do that. I mean, there is so much going on in education. We've only just begun to scratch the surface of it here uh, here today. But you know, what form will that take? I know in 2015, in some cases, there were things sent home with children from school. I know that so a lot of parents raised their eyebrow to that. Was that? Do you see something similar going on this year? I don't recall things being sent home with kids. Uh, they might have been. My around. kids came home with them. <laughs> oh, did they? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I'm not sure how they got them, but they were little, I think, little card things. I can't remember what we had in 2015. Really, the big kickoff with um, this campaign is that we're hosting a rally on October 22nd at the legislature to show our support for public education. And uh, the campaign is really called Stand for Education. There's a website, standforeducation.ca. 
CA. And the rally is to, to get teachers and parents and people who care about public education in this province to come together to show our support for it, to uh, say, you know, that we value public education in this province. It is something that the majority of the students in this province attend. We have teachers who've been working in education for decades. People like yourself come from families of educators. I'm the only teacher in my family right now, but uh, you never know what happens down, down the road. But uh, so this rally will be on the 22nd. That's the big kickoff to say, you know, we need to support public education and students and teachers in this province. And then we'll move forward with that, engaging uh, the, the public and our membership in further dialogue about what the future of education should look like in this province, and then work towards uh provincial election in May 2023, if that's in fact when it is, and uh, we'll go from there. But also, you know, we'll be putting uh, conversations to candidates who are running in political parties about what they think is public education and what uh, they, they think about it and what they see are the issues and how they have solutions to some of those issues. All right, before we go, I want to want to do a forward-looking question. You know, to me, Alberta is 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 one of the most exciting places for young people to be in. Tell me what you're most optimistic about going forward and 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 how do we get young people excited about being in Alberta and the opportunities that are here? Well, you know, I think it's 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 a great question. I'm not sure if I would be able to give you a really snappy answer right off the top <laughs> of my head, but I mean, one of the things that excites me or gives me hope about the future of, of education and of this province, and I'm born, raised here, all of my schooling is here, University of Lethbridge, University of Alberta. I mean, I, I, I live in this province and I believe in, uh, in public education because I'm a product of that. I've been fortunate to have teachers through my life, whether, you know, elementary school or middle school, high school, university, who, who cared about my learning and who really pushed me into uh, different ways of thinking and different things. I, I, you know, I had no plans of being a drama teacher when I was in junior high, but here I am. And that is really for the benefit of the people who, who taught me. And what gives me hope about that is that I have colleagues across this province who believe in their students and work hard every day to make sure that their students um, can be successful. And it, I think it's our job as a province and it's our job as, um, you know, the adults in the room to make sure that that teachers and schools have the things that they need to make our kids successful. And when we give them the success and we give them the tools that they need for success, you know, a good modern curriculum, smaller class sizes, uh, you know, supports for, for any kind of learning deficits, um, you know, ad addressing special needs students in the classroom and giving them the supports that they need and mental health supports as well. We do that and we do that properly. Kids, all the doors are going to open for them. And then those, all of those opportunities are there. I always used to say to, uh, you know, my, English students who, oh, I'm not going to do this, or I don't want to do that. And I'm like, you know what, don't close those doors, because you never know where they're going to lead. Right. And I think that we need to give everybody the opportunities that they need, the tools that they need, the supports that they need, so that we can open all these doors for our students, because then they'll say, you know, they can be successful, and they'll see Alberta as a place that they want to stay. Well, you know, in the public system, our teachers spend uh, a lot of time uh, with our children. 
And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, many of us have had memories of that special relationship we had with the teacher who maybe came along when we were feeling down or, or left out or, or maybe just got really inspired by a teacher who shared a similar interest. So I'm hoping that those relationships are, are being struck now across the province and, and back in person and let it stay that way. I hope and the year works out that way. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for taking time. I know this is a really busy time of year for all teachers and certainly the association. Yeah. And we'll be watching uh, watching all this unfold with, uh, with the curriculum developments and also your campaign. Thank you so much right. for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I much appreciate it. Western Edge is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by Kayla Duty, Zoe Kirstead, Kathy Moore, and Monica Virk. I want to extend a very big thank you to our guest this week, Jason Schilling, for taking the time to chat with us today and provide us his insights and expertise on the education landscape in the province. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Twitter at Western Edge by Nav to catch next week's episode. As always, thanks for joining us and listening to The Western Edge.